Thank you for connecting to today's episode of the Reframe Brain Podcast, where we center brain health and unseen injuries. In episode 14, we feature Dr. Robert Melton, a healthcare executive who talks about creating parity and mitigating disparities in healthcare. Thank you for listening. Well, happy Monday and welcome to the Reframe Brain Podcast. I am your founder and host, Erica Savage-Wilson, and I'm so glad that you have connected today. If you happen to be viewing us by YouTube, thank you so much for viewing. Would ask that you please like this episode and then also subscribe and select the notification bell so that you can be alerted when the Reframe Brain Podcast comes to your smart TV, your device every first and third Monday of every month. And if you are listening to us by one of your select podcast platforms, so happy to have your ears. Uh, If you would please, uh, please leave us a review. Um, One of the things that we seek to do here at the Reframe Brain Podcast is to expand our audience because what we do here is to center brain health and unseen injuries. And so we have had several great episodes uh, up to this point, and I am so happy to bring forward um, a dear friend of mine, uh, and his name is Dr. Robert Melton. Share a little bit about him. Dr. Robert Melton is a healthcare executive with over 30 years experience and has been in the C-suite for over 20 years at four different hospital organizations. Robert is a proud graduate of the NC AT&T State University, that's North Carolina, AT&T State University, the nation's largest HBCU with a bachelor's in architectural engineering, Aggie Pride. Robert completed graduate level studies at the prestigious Johns Hopkins University and completed his doctoral studies at Charter University in management. Additionally, Dr. Melton currently serves as a consultant with the Joint Commission, the nation's largest healthcare accreditation organization, where he validates that healthcare organizations are meeting standards and compliance for patient care and safety, leadership, life safety, and emergency management. Dr. Melton is a licensed professional engineer, a certified healthcare facilities manager, robust process improvement, that's RPI, certified yellow belt, and graduate of Center for Creative Leadership. Dr. Melton believes that healthcare services should be accessible to everyone. He is an energetic and passionate speaker and strives to address healthcare disparities and empower people to advocate to improve healthcare accessibility and outcomes. Reframe Brain Community, if you would join me in welcoming my friend, Dr. Robert Melton. How are you today? Doing great, Erica. Thank you for that great introduction and just to be in your presence in the Reframe Brain Podcast community. It's just a pleasure to be here today. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I want to share with the Reframe Brain audience, you know, because we're in this space of virtual existence, so to speak, uh, since the onset of the pandemic, we meet people now in a myriad of ways, not that we didn't meet them before. And Dr. Milton and I actually connected online, I believe it was through uh, LinkedIn and LinkedIn for all of you all, you know that it is a community of professionals. And so these are people that you um, can get into uh, relationship with people that you can develop that know, like, and trust factor. And uh, Dr. Milton has definitely been one of those people for me. So I definitely appreciate not only you being on the podcast, but your support of the podcast. He is a subscriber. 
He listens to all of the episodes, watches all of the episodes, um, and provides comments about what he's seen. Uh, and so I really do appreciate you being an active member of the Reframe Brain community. So um, from the TRB community, this is one of you that's actually on the podcast. So connect so that perhaps you could be uh, a guest as well. So I want to, um, with that wonderful file that I read, I would love um, to um, have you invite the Reframe Brain audience, your own community, into your path into healthcare and how your education at Johns Hopkins um, shaped your current work. Definitely. Thank you again, Erica, for just inviting me to be part of it. And I enjoy all the work that's being done in the Reframe Brain podcast. As, as you can mention, now, I'm a proud graduate from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, where I started in engineering. And I, I, my, by happenstance, my first job was with the Department of Health and Human Services. Because I was Health and Human Services, I started working hand in hand with state-owned hospitals. Uh, rehabilitation centers, uh, the juvenile centers, where I saw, I saw this population being served. And from getting involved with that, you saw that it was slightly a difference in how healthcare was being provided for people of color and people who were not the private community. So I got more involved and they don't want to send me over to John Hopkins to get more in, in depth into healthcare administration. And that grew and grew and grew where I ended up connecting while I was regulating healthcare on a regular basis and just growing in the process. And it, it's opened up something within me to say, people deserve true healthcare on their own terms. They need to be heard. People need to advocate, but also people need to be open to understand that diversity is a good thing as it relates to healthcare. The way I view healthcare and the way I've been grew up, you know, because we have a history and as people of color, uh, sometimes not always trusting people in healthcare situations and people need to be aware of that. And so that's what drove me to John Hopkins, which later on led me to finish up my PhD, just to understand more about the management portion of healthcare and how you can better affect our communities because this is part of our mental health. This is part of our brain health. And this is part of our growing our society to an even greater level. So really the education with a train board then just kept me to another level. Because we all have people in our, in our family who have had issues, be it cancer, be it mental health, or be it just chronic issues they have. And they all need to be treated with dignity, respect, and availability and accessibility of healthcare. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, I think some great things we can talk about and just looking forward to discussing and moving forward in this this platform. Yeah, and I can hear it in the passion of your voice when you do talk about your trajectory, um, being a proud Aggie, um, having that background in architectural engineering and um, seeing healthcare from different spaces, right? You talked about um, HHS, you talked about Juvenile, you saw all of these different places where Sometimes healthcare is not administered um, at the same level that it would be at some of our more elite and um, acceptable institutions um, or our places, organizations. And so that that then propelled you into saying, okay, let me dive a little bit deeper. We can really hear the passion come out in what you do. So that moves me into um, your consulting work. And so as noted in your bio, um, Robert Melton Consulting um, is your consulting firm. So you actively do that work and you mentioned the Joint Commission. Yes. And so um, with that, you ensure compliance, staffing standards are met and different things that were mentioned in your bio. So I would love for you to talk to the Reframe Brain audience about what the Joint Commission is. Um, we got a brief overview in your bio. Um, 
and how the essential work of what you do then impacts the outcomes that then we experience here on the patient care side. I would be glad to, to, to be able to, to dive into that more. Most people probably don't know what the Joint Commission is. Most people have heard somewhat of, of the CMS, which is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services. Joint Commission partners with them to go out into community hospitals, healthcare facilities, and validate that they are meeting these standards. They are providing a certain level of care patients. They are maintaining the facilities in a certain way. They're following the proper procedures, and they are also making sure that they're including you in the process and, and in terms of making sure you are being, uh, being treated as being inclusive in the process. What, this, what we do behind the scenes, and I'm going to tell a couple, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to use the, uh, the, the pandemic as a platform to go from there. I think people, we're still dealing with this pandemic. Most people understand it. In 2020, uh, March of 2020, uh, the pandemic hit the, hit the United States in terms of the COVID-19. And at that period of time, most hospitals across this nation, uh, Pacific went on, on, on a diversion type process where they, they stopped all elective surgeries. A lot of doctor's offices canceled visits for people coming in. Emergency departments basically pretty much eliminated visitors, only the people who had the most critical to come in. And if you was in a hospital, you could, may not could have any visitors at all. So what did that mean as it makes Medicaid and Medicare reimbursements and things of that nature? The numbers went down dramatically because people were not coming into the hospitals. But joint commission is the process that we make sure that you are people taking take into account. I remember I was sitting in the boardroom uh, uh, during this period of time this happened. We was talking about, okay, we got to shut down these items in this process in, uh, uh, in, this, in this place. And this is a hospital system here on the East Coast. And we were just talking about the overall process. They said, well, we revisit in a couple of months. And a couple of months came back and said, okay, let's start opening back up somewhat. Not fully, but we want to make sure doctors, officers are getting people in because people are deferring healthcare. Right. Really dangerous. People need to be seen by, so they started saying, okay, I'm opening back up. So we had these people in the room. Most of them did not look like you are, Erica. So they, they had a slightly different view. So they would say, okay, we can open up doctor's offices. What we're going to do, we're not going to have anybody waiting in the waiting room. We're going we're gonna to basically tell them when they get to the parking lot, dial this number, wait in your car until we call you. Sounds great. Except for we have a certain part of our population who don't have cars. Right. Catch buses to doctor's appointments. So you right. can tell me, you can, I, can, I can envision my mother, who, you know, who, who turned 86 this year, you now basically getting there because and waiting on a bench in front of a doctor's office in the cold weather. That's yeah. something that in the Joint Commission, make sure you take into account the whole population. Yeah. And that's why you have to have advocates in the room with you in the process. Because they didn't take it that way. They just think, okay, everybody drives a car. Everybody has a cell mm -hmm. phone and they can get right. in there. So part of the Joint Commission is we validate behind it. We make sure doctors are doing the right procedures the right way. They make sure they include you as part of your care team. Each one of us is part of our care team. If you ever go to a doctor uh, and, and they start telling you what's, uh, what they're going to do, they haven't even talked to you about what your, your charts are, they're not including you. And that's where we get to the disparities, which we can talk into a little bit more details as well. Disparity, what healthcare looks like to people, because they're making presumptions based on who you are to what your, your issues are. They're assuming that you automatically have high blood pressure. They're assuming that you may be, you may be predisposed for diabetes. They're making these assumptions. They're, they're making assumptions that, okay, Okay, woman, a, a black female woman coming into to the doctor's office who's pregnant, she don't need pain, pain, pain medication. So they may not offer you epidural till it's too late in the process. You go to unnecessary pain. They're not screening you questions, ask you how you're feeling. Do you feel safe in your home? He's, so this is what the Joint Commission does. It validates that the, the healthcare organization in your communities are taking all these things into account. And we are asking leadership questions. What are you doing? When, 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 and then later on in the pandemic, another pandemic story, we, we finally, about December of 2020, a, vac a vaccine came available. 
We was happy to see the vaccine. People was clamoring to get it. Mm-hmm. And then we noticed that it was a disparity in where it was being given at. Right. African-American communities and communities uh, who are socially and economically challenged did not have the access to get to these vaccines. And we start asking, okay, are you partnering with your community to give out vaccines? Are you partnering with church or religious organizations? Are you partnering with some of these already established nonprofits who has a database of people that can get them here to make sure they have accessibility to it? They say, oh, then they say, okay, you got to sign up online. I mentioned earlier, my mother's 86 years old. My mother doesn't go on the computer to sign up. One of her kids or grandkids will help her do that. So this became a barrier. This disparities are barriers. In Joint Commission, we work with towards that. And one of the things I'll mention quickly about disparities, I'm gonna get more into about what we can do later on to help address that. Uh, I've been very uh, proud of what the what the Biden-Harris administration has done in starting addressing yeah. disparities. They're working a major effort in towards uh, uh, African-American women as works, works through maternity. Make sure yeah. we're getting the needed resources there and they're, and they're putting the money into the place. Doing executive orders, make sure we're studying to all these predisposed issues that came up in COVID that are being addressed. We found out, okay, the most vulnerable populations, because they do have, they are obese. They have high blood pressure. What are we doing to do this? They are putting money in the process to do it. And we got to talk more about what can we do to help us ourselves with disparities. We do control part of that. Not all of it, but we need to know what's behind the scenes and making that happen. So Erica, that's what it's about, is really making sure that hospital systems, healthcare organizations are giving you the best possible healthcare. Zero harm the patients is our goal. Zero harm. We don't want to hurt any patient. You shouldn't go in the hospital and come out worse than you went in. You know, you know that's the goal. Zero harm the patients. You can quality health care, regardless of who you are, based on religion, creed, sexual orientation, any of that doesn't matter. And, and because of you, know, you, you are treated, you should recover. We want better outcomes. Anyone can get sick. Anyone can have a disease. We want outcomes to be positive. That's the end of the day. Can we get treatable diseases and, and injuries so you can have a positive outcome and have a total recovery. And that's what we want to do in Joint Commission, make sure we have zero harm to patients in the process. I love that, zero harm to patients. And uh, the, especially you talked about um, the um, element of disparities. And so that is why for everyone that's listening, it is very important to have folks in leadership like Robert who are behind the scenes, who are looking at the entire pie and are looking from their lens of being yellow belt certified and being the, having the engineering background, having the training from Johns Hopkins and um, understanding as um, a person of color, uh, what it looks like when you walk into spaces and there's not a person on the other side that's attending to your care, that physician, that nurse that doesn't look like you, but being very grateful that there are people like you that are behind the scenes that are saying, And these are things that you need to be asking. These are um, ways that you should be approaching. So definitely thank you for your leadership and for your presence in that. And so, um, and talking about our previous conversations that we had about disparities, what you shared um, with regard to the Joint uh, Commission, zero harm to patients. I really do love that. Um, But we do know that disparities uh, do exist. And so um, I'm sure and you talked about it within our families, you know that there are people that are listening within the audience that uh, they themselves or they have family members who either have chronic illnesses, they have um, some level of mental health challenges, um, physical challenges themselves, and they may be living in a rural environment um, or a metropolitan area, both who um, may lack resources and uh, proper funding for 
the type of facility that would meet the population that um, is in the specific area, um, that there are the gender identity um, and racial ethnic biases, right? That um, um, uh, or presumed health challenges, as you talked about, somebody presents themselves in a, or, um, to a physician or a nurse, and it's automatically assumed that this person has high blood pressure, they have diabetes because of uh, their racial back or ethnic background or gender identity. So as an executive, you started walking us through um, those disparities, but then can you also then get, go a little deeper and talk about um, states that refuse to support Medicaid expansion? We saw this during um, the 2012 administration of President Obama, his second term. We saw that happening in 2010. So let me back up his first term of president. We saw states that actually file um, legal documents to say that we will not, as governors of these states, we will not support um, or refuse Medicaid expansion, um, thereby refusing the Affordable Care Act, ACA, Obamacare. Um, can you talk about how that essentially has failed everyone to include those people who should be providing care and not prejudices? That's a, that is a great observation, Erica. Uh, people don't understand that it's a connection between our government and our healthcare. And it's unfortunately it's a connection in politics as well. Uh, I know Erica is very astute in the politics, but this is not a political session today. Uh, <laughs> but however, we look at the, part, no, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, it had provisions within it where it is, the states accepted it. They provided you a lot of mental health services you wouldn't normally get. They gave you opportunity to, to be accessing uh, community activities and community programs that may not have been available. We have several states, a lot of them are, are states who just refuse to work with the organizations to get it done. So with the American Care Act and Obamacare, I'm gonna take a step back further with that. We have states who also who have worked on something we call a CON, a certificate of need. What is a certificate of need? It determines where is there a need for healthcare services across a certain state? Where do we need to have more acute care beds for hospitals? Where do we need to have maybe a cancer center or MRI so we can do proper testing? Or oh, even long-term care beds in terms of nursing home beds. Where should this go in the community? Where do we need to put emergency departments? All this plays into the, the process. So we have states that have these, these, these applications in place. And the reasons to do that is to help to maintain healthcare costs, make sure we're not overbuilding, but also that we are serving those who need it the most. Because unfortunately, a lot of hospital or healthcare organizations uh, report to board of directors uh, and, and, and investors. And because of that, they may want to put it in an area where they can get a richer return, a better return, rate of return. But however, because we have a certificate of need, and if we are counted properly, which goes back to the census as well as the program mm. we deal with, we, every 10 years, the census tell, tells us where we have populations of people at. Based on the population of people, we know certain things may be needed in that to support that community. So we'll build a hospital closer to that area. Or we may not be a hospital, but hey, maybe you have a freestanding emergency department so I can serve you. You don't have to go 30 minutes to get to your nearest hospital in the program and getting that done. Or even though we may have a hospital, maybe we'll have the services within the hospital we need. I go to some hospitals in some rural communities, they don't have a labor and delivery department because somebody in the community said they don't need that. So they have to drive 45 minutes uh, to get to a labor and delivery unit. And granted, I'm, I'm not female. I have never had a baby. I can imagine driving an extra 45 minutes while you're in labor to try to get to the hospital. It's not a pleasant event to do. But the certificate needs are really determined based on the population, what we need in these communities. So that's why it's important to be involved and be counted. If you're counted, your state, there's 38 states that have a certificate of need. 
in some other states and in some large states who don't have it and they build a lot of private hospitals in the process of getting it done. They can build a hospital where they want to build it at. And all of them are owned by doctors or investors in the process. But in these states, a lot of them, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, all have certificate of needs. And in a lot of states on the East Coast have it as well as some, some states in the Midwest as well. But there's 38 of them that have them. They can determine what needs go at. And they can say, okay, yes, I know you want to build a hospital. However, based on our need analysis, we have went through this process. We need a hospital here in Southeast DC because of that reason, based on the population. But no, okay, but we need these services provided within there. Well, yet now we have an Asian population. Go beyond the mm -hmm. hospitals, the general health care. We need long-term care or what we call nursing home beds available in the community. Many of us have loved ones who have aged up and, and, and need some additional care that the family kids can't provide at the time. We have to put them in long-term care facilities. Nursing homes are, uh, may be a process they need to do. And how many people you know, they have to put them in somewhere far away from their home because there's no beds close by. And that's because we're not being counted. Do we not holding our states accountable in the certificate of need, make sure they're meeting the need we have and make sure those applications are in place and going through that process of making it happen. And furthermore, beyond that, we found out now, and it's still going towards disparities and getting the big picture together, is that part of we have disparities because people don't culturally understand what we're going through. This, and, and throughout this pandemic, there have been something they call the great resignation. Uh, we have lots of people in healthcare specifically who have resigned from their jobs, left the field. I mean, nurses have left on a, a rate that have never seen before. Nurses that before were really close to retirement, but love the field. They just said, well, it's time to retire. We have others who left and went to a completely different field of things to do. We have opportunities today for young people of color to get into the healthcare field. Most people view healthcare as being doctors and nurses. I know Erica doesn't know the fleet of services that's offered by healthcare, but you have mm -hmm. therapists, occupational therapists. We have physical therapists. Now, we have people who work in labs, you know, phlebotomists, people who draw blood. We have people who work in accounting departments and healthcare organizations to make sure the money is being sent the right way and we're spending and using the right pools of getting things done. You have people working the, the backside of the house who are doing dietary work, make sure the, will, the meals are proper and getting to you in a hot way, make sure your diet's being taken care of in the process, cleaning the building, people maintaining the building, people are, who are processing contracts. We have a whole lot in healthcare and guess what? Healthcare is growing every day. This is a field that we need to make sure our community understands. It's a job center. And we need these job centers in our community so the disparities are less. Is you're better amped if you have employees who look like you in a hospital mm -hmm. to get better services than you are working where there may not be as many people there. I mean, I've been to lots of hospitals. Unfortunately, I've been to hospitals where I was the only African-American in the whole hospital walking around. Uh, and that still exists in the United States, unfortunately. Uh, but it doesn't matter what I look like. I should be able to get care. And disparity, they shouldn't be prejudged in the process of getting it done. So healthcare disparities are based on, they make a predisumption of what you are because they cannot relate to you. They assume that even, some of them are overworked. So that, that's not, it's not a pass, but sometimes they're overworked trying to get to the next patient or they're not listening. Uh, you know something's wrong. So I really push people to advocate. Tell your healthcare provider what's going on. Don't try to be that brave face or it really don't hurt that bad, so I'm not going to tell them about it. No, tell them. It's their job to keep you alive and make sure there's zero harm happening. Let them know what's happening. Let them know that you really, something's just not right with my body today. And also we need to understand that sometimes it's good, it's okay to say, I'm not okay. We have mental health services in our community. It's a stigma in the African-American community about mental health. You know, they say, well, just pray about it, you'll be okay. Uh, Erica knows I'm a person of faith. I believe in God, I know God does great things, but I also believe God used doctors to heal. I'm a firm believer in that as a process yeah. as well. 
But sometimes we need counselors. And every pastor is not a counselor. So don't look at it that. Get professionals who've been trained in this field. And it's nothing wrong to tell somebody you need some help. And that's why the Reframe Brain podcast is great. Because you let us know we all have a brain that need to be healthy. We have to watch what we're eating. We have to make sure we exercise our brain and our mind and our body in the process of getting it done. And we let people know that they can be part of our community. So disparities are given because that we need to make sure we have that. And Affordable Care Act has a provision for mental health that we didn't have before, which is great. We can get in there. So these states who didn't take it could possibly stop people from getting mental health services. And that's something that we need. Uh, I'll never forget, when I used to work, when I used to work in DHSR, we had a state, a huge state-owned hospital system. And they, within that system, they had this adolescent unit, so teenagers who had mental health issues. Um, and they had a school within that. So they make sure the students, kept, even though they had mental health issues, they kept them in school. But 90% of the people in that school and in that program were Caucasian because our community didn't know it was available. When our kids got in trouble at school, they was, it wasn't a mental health issue. It was a behavioral issue. And they put them in the mm. juvenile justice system instead. I went to, so we control that. We have to advocate, ask what services are available. Okay, my son act up. I bet he did it. Okay, what programs you have to help him be better? How can you make me a better parent for him as well? And this is what the Affordable Care Act does, get mental health services. This is what Certificate Need does. Make sure you have these services available in your community. This is what the Joint Commission does. These services are getting done. They are meeting a standard, a gold standard, to make sure they're providing you what you need and you not have to question it in the process. But you have to stand up and ask for it. You have to ask for it. I love that. Thank you so much. I mean, that was just such a perfect way to wrap all of that up. So we've learned that we definitely have to be an advocate of our own health. I have done that um, and continue to do that even through my brain injury. So do that. We t- um, You share with us what a certificate of need is. And so that's something that um, all of us can do at, at our local level in our own capacity to find out if your particular hospital has a certificate of need. I would urge everyone that's listening to the Reframe Brain podcast to do that research, to find that out. You talked to us about the Joint Commission um, and that it, uh, it it's what its existence is, the infrastructure of it, and it's zero harm to patients. And you really, really, um, again, imprinted on us to be an advocate for our own healthcare. Ask those questions. This really goes back um, from my political lens and what I would say on savage politics through the savage political bite, that information plus engagement equals yes. power. And you talked about the healthcare organ, uh, healthcare being a job center. So for those of us who um, are have young children, um, you are in guardianship of children, you have influence with um, adolescents and youth to talk to them about going into all of the different spaces that uh, Dr. Milton laid out for us with regard to healthcare, because when you have people, as Dr. Milton outlined, that look like you that are working on the inside, that then really continues to ensure that uh, you do have better outcomes because there are people on the inside that are doing the work that are representative of you. So as we close out, definitely want to say thank you so much for your time, Dr. Milton. And so how can people connect with you um, and procure your services? Sure. The best way to connect with me at this time is really through LinkedIn. I'm up there, Robert J. Melton Jr. You'll see me up there. you see the picture. Connect with me uh, as Eric Terry. If you send me a message, I'll respond back to you. And we'll, we'll work through that. I'll be, glad, uh, I'll be glad and available to, to speak to different organizations virtually or in person as needed. And we get through the process. But really, the major thing I want people to understand is that health, everyone deserves proper health care. You know, it's, that's not optional. 
Um, Obamacare is a great thing, but also our brain health goes beyond that. We all have something to offer this community. And we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't push towards getting what we need to be the best versions of ourselves we can do. And I, so I really appreciate you know, just this community and moving forward with that. I think great things are continuing to go in this community. And Erica, have anybody told you today that you're awesome, amazing, and fabulous? Because you are. And we all are awesome, amazing, and fabulous. <laughs> today, as you go forward, the whole Reframe Brain community, know that you're awesome because you're here today. Know that you're amazing because you have went through mighty works and you survived. And you're fabulous because guess what? You're smiling anyway. So you don't look what you don't look like what you've been through. And so just know that the best is still yet to come in all our lives. I'm excited for what's happening within this platform. And this platform is reaching people, making a difference in life. Somebody is going to learn something from this and be encouraged. Those are there for you. Ask questions. Advocate. Yes, you can work there as well. It's a great job move forward in that process, but make sure you know that you deserve the best possible healthcare that you can get. Thank you so much, Dr. Milton. So listen, you have gotten your sunshine for the day. <laughs> I really do want to say thank you again to my dear friend, Dr. Robert J. Milton. So you can find him on LinkedIn. He's active there. Robert J. Milton Jr. You said, is it Robert mm. J. Milton Jr.? Robert J. Melton Jr., you can find him right there. Send him a connection request, and I'm sure he'd be happy to um, invite you into his community. And so I want to say to the Reframe Brain audience, thank you again for connecting and joining. And remember that we do this work. We are on this journey, one beautiful breath at a time. Thank you so much for lending your ears and your eyes. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you again for connecting with today's The Reframe Brain podcast episode. This is Erica Savage, the founder and host, extending a personal invitation for you to join our community where you can receive my five best brain health tips and a playlist curated with you in mind. Please go to thereframedbrain.com. Thank you again and be well.